Put up that first slide, please, Judy. We're looking at Matthew 23, verses 37 to 39. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When I was first asked to speak in this passage, I wasn't quite sure what to do. I thought, this is no fun. Come on, Ken. But he gave me some helpful thoughts, and, and then I realized Jesus is grieving for a lost city, a city he loves. And I thought, hmm, that's pretty relevant for us. Jesus grieves. He moves on. The last couple of weeks we've heard about, we know the story about the woes. And Jesus is pretty angry. I would say his primary emotion in those verses is anger. He's angry with the hypocrisy that he sees in the religious leadership. And now he turns from anger more to grief. Now he's longing for the broken city. The city as a whole is not following the ways of the Lord. And it's pretty serious language. You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. Jesus is grieving. Grief, of course, by its very definition, is, is not a happy subject. Let's, let's do a very scientific poll. How many of you like being sad? No one, thank you. Silly question, I know. Really, we had a stupid question. Thank you for laughing. How many of you do whatever you can to avoid feeling sad? Yeah. Some of us are really good. Like, I don't like this feeling, and I work really hard to avoid this feeling. What do you do? What do you do, anyone? What do you do to avoid those feelings of sadness? Think of something else, yeah? What else do you do? Keep busy. Yeah. A lot of us do that. Just work right through it. I'm not going to feel sad. I've got things to do. Go for a walk. Eat chocolate. That's my favorite. Eat chocolate. We do all sorts of things to avoid being sad. We watch a movie. We do all sorts of things. Here's the thing we all know, but we don't enjoy very much. If we are never sad, we're not fully living. Are there? Jesus is reminding us there's some good reasons to be sad in a broken world. It's not the only time Jesus was sad. Many of you remember the story when his good friend Lazarus had died. Mary and Martha, his sisters, were weeping, and Jesus weeps with them. He's sad. He's very sad at the hypocrisy we've been looking at the last couple of weeks. Grief is hard, but it's actually important in our lives. So we're going to look at good grief this morning. Charlie Brown, good grief. The value of grieving. Grief has a bad rap. We don't like it. Now, of course, in our society, if, if someone is grieving a loved one, we have room for that. That's, that's normal. That's acceptable. We give people lots of time, as we should, when we've lost a loved one. Uh, Karen and I recently um, lost a dear friend from Germany. These were pretty close friends. They've stayed with us in the summers. I've told story. The um, Ancha. The, uh, the wife has prophesied in my life quite directly, and Gerald, her husband, just passed away. Dear, dear folks. He's, uh, he was a nuclear physicist. I don't know how many nuclear physicists you know. 
he was a smart guy. We would have amazing conversations, and just a wonderful father, husband, and person, and uh, we, were, we were, had tears in our eyes when we heard the news. We knew it was probably coming. It's very sad when we lose someone who's important to us. Grief is an interesting thing, and I don't pretend to know a whole lot about it, and, uh, but I was doing a little bit of research, and, and Matt gave me some good ideas as well. Psychologists talk about different types of grief. So here's some interesting different types of grief. A non-death loss. So someone who hasn't passed away, but things have changed. I have a couple of friends at work who've retired. I realize I'm grieving that. I don't have those kind of conversations at work with those friends that I used to. Ambiguous loss. Someone is still living, but things have changed. Someone has a stroke. Something changes. We're grieving. Someone's health has changed. Cumulative loss. At UGM, where I work, we have folks who are amazingly resilient who deal with loss after loss after loss. It is so hard. Non-finite loss. Our expectations and dreams for our lives are not realized. Anticipatory grief. We're already grieving something we know is going to happen. We're moving away or something's going to happen and we're grieving already. Disenfranchised grief. It's when we're not given permission or support to fully grieve. That's hard. Has that ever happened to you? Get over it. Put on your happy face. Many different types of grief. And they're all hard. And we find this hard as Christians because we're Christians. We have the joy of the Lord. Matter of fact, we consider it all joy when we encounter those trials. Who likes that verse? <laughs> it stinks. Let's be honest. Who wants to consider it joy? It just stinks. But we live in a fallen world. And so the good news is we learn from Scripture that life is not all well. We learn from our own experience that life is not all well. And grief is a real thing. And we have good reasons to grieve. Many of you know about Sanctuary Mental Health. They're a wonderful ministry here in uh, based in Vancouver, but all over the world. Many of you know Daniel Whitehead, their CEO. He's come and spoken here. They do wonderful work in these areas. So I'm going to, we're going to listen to a couple of their experts for about three minutes speak a little bit about grief. So if you could put that on, please, Judy. My assumption is that grief is extremely painful and that most of us don't know how to feel pain. And so we write our cultural discourse into the way that we read and understand scripture and the way that we do church. I think it is ideal that most of us see our primary identity as being within the church, but in doing so, we minimize the impact that our social, our, our cultural, our historical place impacts how we move as bodies, how we feel, and our permission to be with that or not. And so grief is um, disruptive, right? Especially if our, our story around faith is that it must be, uh, as followers of Jesus, we need to primarily be joyful, <laughs> then it would be uh, dissonant for us to make room for our pain. I say that the way that I look at scripture is that there's actually so much room in our Christian tradition for lament and grief and pain and not knowing and uncertainty and suffering. But when our culture has said, don't 
feel pain, it is so much easier to choose scriptural references that support that and say, no, 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 we must be joyful all the time. And what happens is we just end up neglecting the richness of life and all of these entry points within which God can come in and be with us. Particularly for those of us who are charismatic evangelicals, is that sometimes we implicitly or explicitly associate happiness and uh, a lack of anxiety with faithfulness. So we think when the scripture talks about if, 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 counting it all as joy, we think we've got to be happy, we've got to be, you know, always looking positively at things. But actually, the way that, if you look at the Gospels, the way that joy is articulated, it includes suffering. You know, it includes sadness, it includes brokenness, it includes happiness. But when Paul talks about counting it all as joy, it's not counting it all as happiness. Because, you know, happiness is never named as a gift of the Spirit, but joy is. So I think that we just sometimes, uh, implicitly or explicitly, make that association. And then when we feel broken or afraid and anxious, we think, oh, I'm losing my faith or I'm being unfaithful. But actually, all of these emotions are captured in, 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 in the Gospels. And actually, all of these emotions are captured in the life of Jesus. So if we read the scriptures in times of anxiety, we'd be surprised uh, how much we can identify with what uh, was on within the, the, the gospel, the, the story of Jesus. I think our pain is the doorway to God. I really do believe that. And, and so when we neglect our pain, we're also saying there are rooms of the house the rooms in the house of our lives that God cannot enter, that we cannot enter. And we're missing an opportunity for there to be even more fullness and richness and depth in our, in our spiritual walk. Grief is a doorway to God. Some, some great truths there. We can learn from it and draw near to it. I want to speak for just a couple of minutes on spiritual grief. What is the opposite of grief? Is it happiness or joy? Well, we've just heard that it's not. Here's, here's another angle for us to consider. Grief, in particular, spiritual grief. Spiritual grief, I believe, is a sign of deep care and compassion for the brokenness we see around us and even in us. Why was Jesus grieving in this passage? Again, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks. He was grieving because Jerusalem was lost. Jerusalem was not following the ways of the Lord. They had a form of religion, but not a real relationship with our God. And if we're honest, of course, we see this all around us in our world today as well. We see all sorts of broken relationships. We see loved ones who don't know the Lord. We see the effects of colonialism and the harsh treatment of indigenous peoples over decades and centuries. We see people struggling with poverty, homelessness, and addiction. We see destruction of God's creation. We see wars and hardship all over the world. Yesterday morning, uh, Karen and I were in a 
Zoom prayer meeting with some friends from Austria praying for our friends that we've known for years who are Ukrainians for the Ukrainian war. Nels and Eleanor were on the call with us. And one of Nels' prayers began with, Lord, we grieve the loss, the suffering by Ukrainians and Russians, by the evil that's taking place there. So we join with the laments in Scripture and we grieve because of the pain in our world, and not just in Ukraine, in Sudan and Afghanistan, many other places we know. I'd like us to think about apathy. Oh, did we lose our slides? Oh, there we go. We just lost the screen. Apathy. What does apathy have to do with grief? I will tell you, good friends. If we think that the opposite of spiritual grief is true compassion and care, apathy is an important question for us to consider if in some ways we're becoming apathetic in our walk with the Lord. And this is an especially important question for us, for, uh, for us living in the comfortable West. It's easy for us to get lured into the desire to live comfortable lives and to, to be comfortable and not grieve the brokenness around us. Many of you know these well-known verses from Psalm 73, which remind us of this. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens and are not plagued by human ills. This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and, my, and washed my hands in innocence. You ever feel like that? Some days I do. Some day, days I envy those who don't deal with some of the struggles that we deal with. But what's missing from this picture? What's missing, we all know, is true care for the world around us, true compassion. So let's talk about that for a couple of moments in the context of grief. Let's talk about overcoming apathy. This is a, this is a fascinating book that just came out last year. It's actually the uh, Christianity Today book of the year. So they're going to say, if you're going to read one book, read this one. So I did. And uh, it's, it's by uh, an African-American scholar, which I hadn't known of before. His name is Ut Professor Uche Anazor. He teaches theology at Talbot Theological School at Biola University, a very respected school. He was, at, he was born in Nigeria, moved to Toronto, Canadian immigrant, so he's a Nigerian, Canadian, American. Grew up in Toronto, and many of you know there are many immigrant communities in Toronto with many other immigrant families around him. Became a Christian at age 18, first one in his family. Others have come to faith since then, and now gone on to be professor at Talbot. So quite fascinating. And he's written a book about apathy and overcoming apathy. And he talks about our culture and the way that our culture impacts us and how we spend so much time on the things that entertain us. And one of the interesting things he's done in his research about apathy is he says that apathy is something that can be acquired and we can grow in. And it can be quite selective. He says, the next slide there, studies show that the kind of apathy we're con concerned with is largely an acquired response to the world. It's not necessarily something you're born with and therefore are destined to have for the rest of your life. I think this is both good news and bad news. We'll talk about that. Relatively happy functioning people who are apathetic 
have lost interest in things, but only in some things we have selective apathy. So the bad news is we can become dull. We can, we can, we can have our senses dull to the things of the world. The good news is we can overcome that. So becoming dull, what's the bad news? He outlines a number of reasons in his work and his research about what can lead us to apathy. I'm just going to mention just one of them. One of them, of course, is that we can get so sucked into uh, our culture and our, and our uh, the media side of culture that we just, that consumes too much of our lives. So teens get caught up into this in computer games. We can all spend too much time on social media or watch too many shows on Netflix or sports, whatever it is. And he's not arguing, and I'm not arguing, that we can never have fun and we can never have a break and enjoy these things in life. These are all fine. But it's how much time and attention we're putting toward them is what he's arguing in his research. You know, he's got a number of the stats. You know what many of them will say. 56% of teens spend at least two and a half hours a day on video games in the States. All the hours we spend on social media. The average American, in one study, spends two and a half hours a day on TV and the average American between 15 and 54 reads for less than 10 minutes a day. So he's talking about the balance and these things. And so he has an interesting, he has some mathematical equations. Here you go, Fred. He says, the mathematics of spiritual impotence, buckets of time looking at screens, and almost no time in spiritual disciplines equals meh. We know that's true. What did Sarah say? She loves chocolate. I love chocolate. European chocolate. I'm going to introduce you to Ritter Sport. If you don't know, this is my favorite. Out of Germany. No, no, I'm not giving it to you. I'm showing it to you. This is... Dunkle Schokolade mit ganzenus, dark chocolate with whole hazelnuts. It's the best. All right, I'll let you hold it. My wife knows I will have a little piece of chocolate every day. I give up chocolate for Lent. Now, I'm a spiritual guy. That's, I tell you, I'm a spiritual guy. Um, but, of course, if I eat chocolate all day long, I just get sick, you know. So how much time are we spending on these things? How many hours of the day are we spending on things that, of course, uh, start drawing us away from the Lord? A couple of other, I think, helpful quotes. Apathy is a psychological and spiritual sickness in which we experience a prolonged dampening of motivation, effort, and emotion, as well as a resistance to the things that would bring flourishing in ourselves and others. So what's the good news? The good news is that we can change these things. It's not innate. It's not genetically part of who we are, he argues. We can grow in these things, so we can also deal with them. So the vibrancy of our minds is often affected by the decisions we make and our determination to grow in our spiritual walk. Here's another interesting quote. We are drowning in triviality, a soft nihilism, a feeling that everything is kind of meaningless, it tends to creep in easily and undetected. Yet amid this fog, and it is a fog, God steps in. So the good news is, the, the answer to overcoming apathy is our Lord. 
he helps us overcome it. And he talks about two ways God helps us to overcome our apathy. The first way is we remind ourselves, and God reminds us in particular, that we are part of his larger, his better story. We're not just living for that sports team or that Netflix show. Ultimately, we're living for the Lord. When we lack a large, unifying story, we find ourselves... Did I put that one in there, Judy? Maybe I didn't put this quote in there. In the wild west of small narratives. In other words... Oh, there it is. Small narratives about money, fame, or power that end up providing no meaning, no perspective, and only greater confusion about what is significant. In other words, we don't have any meaningful purpose. So, God reminds us that we have purpose, that we're part of his larger story, whatever our role is in that story. And that gives us good news, and that helps us to overcome our apathy because we want to be part of his story, to be participating in that. And the second way God helps us overcome our spiritual apathy is he reminds us that we are loved. We are precious. We are loved. What do the people who love us do for us? They do many things for us. One of the things they do is they help us. Who do we go for help when we're struggling? The people who love us. Who loves us more than our loving God? Our God saying, yeah, I know. I know you're struggling right now, Dan. I know you don't really care about what's going on over there. But I will help you care. And I will help you grow in the ways you need to grow. So our Lord helps us. And of course, our Lord modeled it for us. Jesus, when, we was, when he was on earth, he prayed, he practiced solitude, he served others regularly. So the other, here you go, Fred, the other equation, the better equation, mathematics of growth, are that if we set our things on the minds of the Spirit and practice the things that Jesus did, we have life. It helps us to overcome our apathy. So back to our passage, Jesus is grieving over Jerusalem because he sees the brokenness there. This is where Jesus is acting as the priest. We've heard about the prophet, priest, and king. At this point, he's acting as the priest, and he's grieving as a priest for the lostness in the city. And so, of course, we are called, as the priesthood of all believers, to ask God to help us to care for those around us and to grieve when we need to grieve in the same way he did, to mourn in the same way. And remember that Jesus said to us, Blessed are they that mourn, for they will be comforted. So it's okay to grieve. It's okay when things are not right around us to just feel the brokenness. We're often feeling the brokenness of God when we do that. And finally, to wrap up, the other piece of good news is that there's hope in our grief. And the reason there's hope in our grief is we are not alone. Our Lord is with us, with the power to change things in us and in others, and the power to understand us and care for us. How often... I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Isn't that a beautiful picture? This is a Mother's Day verse. This is the picture of God as a mother gathering his, her children under her wings. This is the mothering of God. This is what God does to us when we are sad. He draws us in. He says, I know. I see those tears and I am with you and I will give you strength, and I will give you comfort, and I will give you power. He comforts our hearts. Let's pray together. With this in mind, we pray, Lord God, that you would help us to grieve well. 
Bring to mind the things we need to grieve about. Help us to enter into those with our prayers. And bring us your presence and comfort when we grieve. Lord, help our grief to compel us to act. We know that every act of kindness brings your light. Help us to make a difference. Remind us, Lord, of your, broken, of your love for our broken world. Remind us that you love us and that you've called us to be part of your larger story of bringing your love, your hope, and your healing. We are not alone in this, and that is the good news. We thank you that you gather us together as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And we commit ourselves to grieving well and caring well. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.